0: Welcome to Therapy Level Midnight.
1: The office goes to counseling. I'm Trevor Sharon.
0: And I am Jesse Steffes. We are two therapists who love the office. The point of our podcast here is to have deep, meaningful, and fun conversations about the office through the lens of two therapists.
1: And today we are going to be dissecting, doing surgery upon, examining, analyzing, stripping naked, and looking at the iPod of Michael... (laughs) Scott, also known as Babe by Jan, Michael Skarn, Prison (laughs) Mike by Michael Scott, Date Mike, Michael Klump, (laughs) Ping, (laughs) Blind Guy McSqueezy, (laughs) Mike the Magic, (laughs) Michael Scotch.
0: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Known by many names. We can't do
1: this show and not start with Michael. (laughs) Who would watch?
0: Nobody who would listen. Nobody.
1: I stop watching The Office <laughs> That's once Michael right.
0: leaves. That's right. The Office is Michael. You know, it's interesting, and
1: it's the only time in the entire show where we where we see that the Office is about Michael is when Michael Scott Paper Company starts, oh. and the intro changes.
0: Wow, it's no yeah.
1: longer the normal Office intro. Yeah. It is Michael Scott Paper Company. The Office. It's yeah. all about Michael.
0: Yeah. Well, and wasn't it set up to be that way? Which I think is actually quite divergent from the British office Mm -hmm. because um, Steve Carell's character obviously can't fit into a pre-made template.
1: Well, and if some of the writers and producers have talked about how Michael Scott was supposed to be somebody that you disliked. Mm -hmm. But he became so likable and so lovable that they had to change the entire formula. Right. So that, um, shoot. Okay, listener, something you're going to realize is... I frequently have brain issues <laughs> when it comes to remembering names, especially yeah. if I haven't met the person in in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so traveling salesman, who's a terrible person?
0: Oh, um, Todd Packer. Todd Packer.
1: They actually had to change Todd Packer yeah. into a super unlikable person. Right. Because in the British show, it's very different. Right. They needed somebody to offset right. who Michael Scott right. was and right. the lovableness that he
0: had. Right.
1: Um, and and so it's it's interesting. The first season is mm-hmm. not excellent by no. any means. I love it and I think it's super funny and mm-hmm. I don't skip any part of it. But it's not awesome. And part of that is because they were trying to figure out how to translate this British show to American TV.
0: Well, and, and Ricky Gervais' character, who is the equivalent <laughs> of Michael Scott, if you watch the British episode, the, the British office, it is cringy yes. to the American palate. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's got some other shows. Ricky Gervais, one of my favorites is An Idiot Abroad that mm-hmm. he did. Mm-hmm. You can still, I think it's not on Netflix anymore, but he's a really kind of sharp cutting, oh, yeah. pretty, pretty. Um, unpalatable he's abrasive abrasive and and hilarious but abrasive and i think steve carell in that first season of trying to run that template Mm -hmm. there were so many things that didn't work and so i mean commendment to the directors for take taking a shift and moving what yeah. that was going to look like because how Michael Scott was first introduced was not sustainable. Yeah.
1: If Michael Scott was a real person and I was trying to conceptualize this change that we see mm-hmm. from season one to season two, here's mm-hmm. how I do it. I think that Michael Scott is on his worst behavior
0: mm. because
1: all of a sudden a camera crew is showing up in the office.
0: And he loves attention, and
1: he loves attention. And so all of these things that you know michael is not a Mm -hmm. um uh, political or diplomatic person right he is rarely but he's not he's not naturally that he's he's pretty out there right um and so it would make sense that if i was to take a whole camera crew put it on this person right that we would see some really brutal changes
0: in behavior. And
1: as he got used to it, he would fall into more of who he is naturally.
0: Right. Which is, is interesting because it's not, there's some attention from the characters to the camera crew at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the series. And then that falls off quite dramatically until it flares way back up. And there's actual interaction that we get to see later in the series. But I, I agree completely with that assessment. And if we think about what any human, like Mm -hmm. you're saying would do in response to being, given a platform and a spotlight, especially, yeah. you know, conceptually, when I think of Michael Scott, some of the things that I think of as contributing factors for current day behavior mm-hmm. is his attachment, his system growing up, personality traits, personality traits, relationship with mom, where's his biological father, core needs, right? Core needs, all of these things and perception of self, mm. right? And, um, some of that actually is revealed to us later by his arch nemesis, Toby, when they have to do counseling, yep. um, following him spanking his own nephew in the office. Right? Normal stuff. Normal stuff. Nepotism. Normal management. Yeah, normal management. Good leadership. Um, he, had to, he did what he had to do. Don't we all? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs>
1: And honestly, I would have spanked
0: him. And honestly, he was awful. That's someone who will for sure not get an episode. But I'll tell you what, the actor is actually phenomenal. But he's super
1: funny. But the character was so perfectly written as just distaste.
0: Ugh, awful.
1: So, okay, here's the question. I brought this up in the pilot. Yeah. I really started thinking about The Office from a therapist's perspective when my wife asked me as she was trying to watch it, because it's hard for her. She has a really Mm -hmm. sensitive cringe response. Yeah. Um, That would be hard. I don't. Yeah. My best friend Peter is so severe that he can't watch any part of The Office without, like,
0: physically hurting. Jeez. (laughs) I love it. What's wrong with us then? Because it soothes me. <laughs> maybe,
1: maybe it's just the field we're in. We're so used to like give me some dysfunction. As long as it's not like childhood sexual trauma, <laughs> right. we're like oh,
0: okay. Oh yeah, Normal I can life. tolerate this. Yeah,
1: yep. Um, so she asked me, uh, does does Michael Scott have autism? Right. And I really had to think about it. Because I I was like, well, oh, I'm just starting my master's. I don't really know all that much about autism. I don't really know how to do diagnosing. I don't know how to do case conceptualization. I didn't even have that language. Right. And started examining it. And So if we were to kind of talk about a Michael Scott comes into counseling. Yeah. We're doing an intake with him. We've had a couple sessions. We get all the benefit of the third-party information that we see from mm-hmm. the show. What would we say is like – we don't have to give a diagnosis. I think that especially for how we want to approach this, um, you know, in my therapeutic work, I think that a diagnosis can be very, very helpful Mm -hmm. in either getting insurance to support financially or to allow a, a, a lens through which to see what's happening and understand that there's, This is something that you're not the first to experience this. And we have studies that show this is how we can help with this problem. Most of the time, though, we don't need a diagnosis. So we may have some in some episodes, but most likely it will just be we'll talk about you know, maybe he could fit this, but here's the reasons why he doesn't fully or whatever.
0: Right, right. Well, and and to to kind of align with you in that, as a counselor, uh, and you and I are both counselors, and Mm. while we use the word therapy, which we do therapy, our actual credentialing is as counselors. Mm. Counselors work from... A wellness model and not a medical model. So good counselors know how to diagnose to inform treatment, Mm -hmm. refer for medication, et cetera. But our idea and the underpinning of our profession is people are generally well, Mm -hmm. and they get off in certain ways because of events, experiences, blah, blah, blah. And so, from that home we operate, right? Yeah. Of, I don't know that Michael would meet criteria, full criteria for anything. No. Um, but I think it's interesting that your wife brings up autism, which I think is a global experience right now for us, um, or at least at least national. I'll say mm-hmm. that. That when we see someone who is off or feels off socially, mm-hmm. we throw them into a category of autism. The majority of people in the world though not understanding what autism actually yeah. looks like and the spectrum on which it oh, lies. Yeah. So is he maybe a little scotch? I don't know. Maybe, but-
1: We don't have enough information on we that. We don't
0: right? have enough. And we're not psychologists that could run him through a battery of tests that would right. actually give us that definitive information. Right. And we're not, you know, psychologists purposefully. (laughs) Well, yeah. And there is a difference
1: too between a counselor and a psychologist of oftentimes if I have a client with certain diagnoses that are possible, Mm -hmm. I will refer to a psychologist because I want to make sure that we're assessing for that through assessments and through tests and through somebody really purposefully looking for things and examining. Right. My role is more of understanding what's going on right now, the case Mm -hmm. conceptualization part. Right. And so for something like depression or anxiety, there's a few things that I can do just to add measurable components to our therapeutic goals. Right. But for something like ADHD, I'm not equipped to be able to run those assessments. And so I need to refer to somebody else. And so we'll keep this kind of within our realm of what we can actually assess for and say, hey, I've noticed these different components. And it seems like these are all in the places of, it, of their lives. And so yeah. according to this, they would fit this diagnosis of depression or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and also here's some of the things that I noticed that can throw me off a little bit.
0: Well, and, and to that point, I, I love how you're talking about that because I, I'm realizing that my therapeutic stance often takes the form of normalizing people's behaviors that they mm-hmm. find abnormal. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm, I'm thinking like, well, okay, so what about ADHD actually for Michael? And I'm thinking about pretzel day. <laughs> yeah,
1: that hyper focus, hyper
0: focus. <laughs> and you know, or the day that he eats the entire family size chicken pot pie, <laughs> right. And he falls asleep, but then he wakes up and does a days full of work. Yeah. And so, or no, that's that's pretzel day. Yeah, um, that's pretzel day. The other day they set the clocks <laughs> forward and leave early. Um, but I'm I'm thinking about the idea of how do we look at someone's not only attachment and things like that yeah. like we're talking about of tr- personality traits, but also I think one. Uh, important factor about humans is how we identify our own flow. Yeah. And that works well for him. Yeah. Right. To, to focus, hyper-focus on the the pretzel with, you know, can you do all the toppings? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, the Scranton branch is the most successful branch. Exactly. Michael Scott is praised throughout the show for being the top manager and one of the most effective managers. And that's not all on Michael, like the office staff does so much of that right but there is something to that that i think is not necessarily just a joke right but i think that michael scott's management style is actually really effective for the people he manages
0: uh, well and i was just thinking about the the dimension here of his relationship with dwight who's mm-hmm. his second in command right um <laughs> assistant to the regional manager yep. <laughs> But his Dwight lives in minutia, and mm-hmm. Dwight lives in detail, which we'll get to. But what a compliment for the idealist that yeah. Michael is. And so when I think of Michael, is he is he autistic? Is he does he have ADHD? Um, I think he actually is not anchored in reality mm-hmm. more often than not. Mm-hmm. But then we see these glimpses yeah. where he has a very real understanding of the brevity of something.
1: Yeah, if I was going to go off of a DSM diagnosis, I'd spend way too much time and not come to a good conclusion because mm-hmm. there's so many times that Michael Scott exhibits some behavior of narcissism mm-hmm. and then totally breaks out of what is you know he he does something or consistently does something that means that that diagnosis cannot fit. Right. And he he I I truly believe that he would do that for almost every single diagnosis mm-hmm. that I could look at. And so in my conceptualization of Michael Scott, I don't think that there's a diagnosable disorder that I could give to him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, I think a lot of his struggle and the way that other people struggle with him mm-hmm. is based out of childhood and attachment.
0: Absolutely. Well, and okay, so let's go back to personality traits for a few okay. minutes, if we can. Yeah. Um, I, I get the impression that many people identify personality disorders as either you have, you meet criteria and you have it, Or not. When in reality, a personality disorder or personality traits are lenses through which we see our world. Mm-hmm. And we all have a little bit of some of them. We all have traits. We all have traits. And we can feel that when we think of like, if I say this dramatic thing, my partner might respond right. more. Which is a very baby version of if I'm suicidal, I right. will get my needs met, which is a is a context within borderline personality yeah. disorder. And so as we normalize like all of the characters here. I mean, look at Kelly. I'm pregnant. Oh, yeah. And she shakes her head. No, I'm not. <laughs> right.
1: right. My New Year's goal is just to get more attention.
0: <laughs> yeah. My New Year's goal is to get more attention. And so when we look at them as simply lenses, like on a refractometer at the um at the ophthalmologist, we can see this is how we're looking at our world. And so when I think of Michael and the attachment, mm. attachment ruptures and dis um yeah. and and attachment brokenness is what leads to those traits Mm -hmm. becoming or looking more severe. Yeah. And so I agree completely the attachment needs and those core needs not being met, which we get glimpses into, Mm -hmm. um, or even do you remember the episode where he sends Ryan back to his mom's house to get the video when he's on the television show as a kid. And he says, I want to have a hundred kids so that they have to be my friends and they can never say no to being my friends. Yeah.
1: And the whole office is stunned
0: inside. Even the children. It's bring your kid to work day and the children are like, oh, God.
1: (laughs) Well, and because he's communicating, he's not actually communicating at a core longing. Right. But we see it so transparently. Right. That Michael longs to be loved and accepted for who he is. Right. To be wanted and desired. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I approach core needs through the you know there's a whole bunch of different ways that you could look at it but i think it's helpful through the six of love acceptance safety Mm. understanding uh purpose and um significance yeah and i think for michael all six struggle yeah um and and then it's even more beautiful when Holly comes into the picture Oh my gosh. And, he, and he gets some of those core longings. Yeah. And we actually see Michael change very dramatically as soon as Holly comes into the picture. Yeah. His impulses are subsided a little mm-hmm. bit. His ability to function as a human being and an adult increases. And he mm-hmm. does some really wonderful things with Michael Scott flavoring, obviously,
0: which is why we love it.
1: And I think we also see a dramatic representation of, michael's core longings not being met in the dynamic with toby
0: Mm -hmm. and yeah
1: we'll get into this more in a different episode but for michael scott his dad left Mm -hmm. his stepdad came into the picture there wasn't actually a strong attachment between michael and stepdad Mm -hmm. not even a very strong attachment between michael and mom either and for toby he is a divorced father Mm -hmm. who is doing his best to engage daughter. with his daughter, yep. something that Michael didn't get from his dad. Yeah. And the fact that Toby is a divorced father, mm-hmm. something Michael brings up quite frequently, mm-hmm. is I think a really sore wound for Michael because yeah. now Toby represents in his world. Because right. I don't, Michael Scott does not have a world outside of Dunder Mifflin.
0: No, it doesn't exist.
1: It doesn't exist. And so for Michael Scott, his world... The representation of his father is Toby Flenderson, who he carries such resentment for, mm-hmm. based out of this rupture of the relationship.
0: Right, and and to have to sit across from Toby in the counseling um, in the counseling episode, yeah. right, is really hard. I I think too, it gave me goosebumps, Trevor, when you said, and then Holly comes along. Mm-hmm. And I got these goosebumps because that is what repaired attachment looks like Mm -hmm. is us finding, selecting, investing in healthy attachment as adults and repairing all of that shit that happened when we were younger. And for Holly, you know, I'm thinking about when they're sitting, putting together her chair and doing Yoda voice and it's cringy almost because it's like, oh, (laughs) ew.
1: It's so childish.
0: It's so childish, but they're on the same wavelength. And then, and they have, they actually do conflict really really well and i'm thinking about that healthy attachment where you know so michael talks in the episode where he spanks his nephew (laughs) about yeah my my aunt hasn't talked to me in forever yeah and he gets cut off frequently from relationships or the um the improv group not inviting him out right right like a lot of rejection when he is too much yeah And the interaction relationship with Holly where he's angry at her and he says, I love you, but you're a pain in the ass, (laughs) is such a beautiful depiction of what it looks like to fight and argue and have conflict within healthy attachment. And she taught him that. They learned it together. And I think Dwight contributed, Pam contributed, Jim contributed, right? Steven Stanley. Stanley, yes. All of these relationships where Michael had a chance as an adult To express a need and see it met.
1: Because our natural reaction to Michael Mm -hmm. searching for his core longings. And I think this applies to a lot of different people in our lives. Right. Our natural response is to pull away. Yes. Because they're too much. They're wanting too much from us. We We can't can't give it. I I know that for me, there's only maybe two people in my life that I could possibly have such a repairing relationship with. Right. And so I don't have room or capacity for more than that. And so I'm going to pull away. What's really beautiful is that, even in the conversation where uh, Michael fires Dwight or uh, mm-hmm. Stanley or mm-hmm. tries to whenever <laughs> Michael tries to <laughs> fires anybody, um, what happens is that Stanley doesn't pull away. He pushes in,
0: even with aggression. An assertion, but he comes close, you're right.
1: Yeah, he presses in. And, you know, we, both you and I have done couples counseling before. Mm-hmm. And that's like the biggest thing that we can have a couple do in counseling is to turn towards and lean in physically and emotionally. Right. Uh, And there are so many different people in the office that whether or not it's because they're stuck in that job during an economic crisis or because they feel like they can't find anything better or because they have romances that keep whatever the reason that they stay in the office, Mm -hmm. because they're staying in the office, they also take the opportunities to lean into Michael rather than to lean away from him.
0: Well, I'm thinking about the episode, as you say that, the episode where Michael gets into a relationship with a married woman um, when he's trying to be date Mike. And after the office presumes that he has cut that relationship yeah. off, they come together as a team. Yeah. Buy his favorite ice cream, set up stations for him. You know, a like,
1: schedule. A
0: schedule to have people there to attach to yeah. him. They know him so deeply and intimately, which is love, right? It's Absolutely. not to like a someone, but to understand yeah. them. Even in my own marriage, I tell my wife,
1: "You don't have to like me, but you have to love me. Like,
0: <laughs> just choose just, to love just, me yeah. one more day." <laughs> I, but isn't that so? real of like to deeply invest in someone yeah. is to deeply invest in all of them yeah and to re- perpetually do that after you know day after day yeah
1: i think there's no better place for michael b scott G. michael scott.
0: michael G. Michael, G. Michael, G. Scott. michael
1: gary scott
0: gary scott
1: <laughs> uh for michael gary scott to be yeah then dunder Scranton. Scranton. Yeah. i think that for who he is and the growth that he goes through throughout this series, mm-hmm. there is no better group of people to surround him and to speak life into him and right. to challenge him and to support him right. than there. Right. Uh, I think that something that's interesting in looking at this is if Michael Scott was anywhere else, it would be a mess.
0: Yeah. yeah. He would
1: not do well. Cause, cause you know, here, let me, paint a different picture of him you have this individual with a whole lot of personality traits nothing that's diagnosable yet but right. there's he's a lot he mm-hmm. has a lot of unmet core longings a lot of ruptured mm-hmm. attachment um he's working at a staples mm-hmm. and thinks that he is the best salesman ever and mm-hmm. he does decently mm-hmm. he thinks that he, he has a lot of grandiose ideas and views mm-hmm. of himself and lives alone in a condo mm-hmm. uh that's cookie cutter yeah. And hasn't maintained a relationship past a couple dates. Yeah. And uh his best friend uh he abuses. Yep. in the relationship and the best friend is insecurely attached to him mm-hmm. which perpe- per- perpetuates the insecure Lack. attachment.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: We wouldn't have very high expectations for this individual because they're not in a situation or a world that is going to allow for growth.
0: Right. Which as we talk about therapeutic change and how that actually occurs for an individual, it is minimal what we can do with the person in the room. Mm -hmm. If their system doesn't also come along with their growth. And so as you talk about that Dunder Mifflin being the garden, if you will, where Michael was meant to grow There, his whole system and all these people, these flowers, these plants around him are going through their own growth process yeah. as well. And as we grow together, we heal together. Mm-hmm. And that's a gift I think that Dunder Mifflin gives Michael and vice versa to everybody starts to crack out of their shells and grow out of their dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And as you watch all the way through the finale, people are actually at their healthiest. Yeah. Yeah everybody i mean there's so much repair and and maybe that's the show's desire to resolve things for us sure. which i really appreciate actually yeah
1: i need a satisfying
0: oh end. my god <laughs> movies that end like what and i have to grab my phone right. and like what did this ending mean i can't handle yeah. but there's there's this idea of everybody is growing and moving and shifting yeah together and i i can't think of other I think there's other shows where we watch things, you know, but um, nothing has quite come full circle like The Office for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, and and his character growth, Michael's character growth of becoming this really healthy, loving father yeah. by the end Yeah, is, is beautiful.
1: And in a way, repairing his own rupture right. of becoming the person that he needed when he was a kid. And I think yes. that's a beautiful thing that happens with parenthood too mm-hmm. is that you get the opportunity to be for somebody – the person that wasn't there for you. And right. so we see this beautiful redemption arc mm-hmm. with Michael, right. with so much humor and fun and enjoyability. Because yeah. Michael Scott is a fun person. Yeah. He's just a lot sometimes. And right. they, that a lot, once I, I have this phrase that I really love, and I steal it from one of your colleagues, Joe Wehrman. <laughs> <laughs> All behavior makes sense in its context. Yep. And so by providing some context of Michael Scott's home life, Michael Scott's core longings, the people that he's around, the things that he needs from life and is getting or not getting, it makes him more understandable. And there's this interesting thing that happens for me when I watch it through that lens is that Michael does something that is totally inappropriate Mm -hmm. and way out there and just sometimes even wrong. Right. Right. And instead of cringing or thinking, and maybe this is why we don't cringe as much instead of cringing or judging him for that, all of a sudden my empathy comes up for Mm -hmm.
0: me and I'm like,
1: "Mm, I see what's happening for you in this moment. I see the feeling and, then I start, you know, feeling a little weird about diving so in-depth with a <laughs> character that somebody wrote and another person acted out. But suspension of disbelief.
0: Sus- well, okay. So as you say that, Trevor, <laughs> I'm thinking about the episode when Holly comes back from Nashua and she's in Scranton again. But she's dating AJ. Yep. And she brings Stinkin the AJ. stuffed wisp- – Yeah. yeah. <laughs> AJ, <laughs> she brings this Woody character, yeah. right? And he is so overcome with despair and sadness that he can't have this love of his life yeah. that he throws Woody into the trash can. Yeah, And he gets covered in this the salad dressing. The, salad right, the vinaigrette, yeah. yeah. And in that moment, I understood so deeply what compelled him to throw that Woody into the trash can. Because imagine a person who has the emotional bandwidth of... Zero to 10. Yep. Right? Zero when he's taking a personnel day, sitting on the swing, throwing right. slices around of around the, the time pigeons. that his
1: parents were divorced.
0: Exactly. And 10 being the happiest he's ever been, mm-hmm. you know, when Holly's coming back. And you know, his just his wide range of emotional expression is is unfathomable, I think, to most people. And so to have that heartbrokenness and to need something to do and to throw Woody in the trash can, yeah. I got that moment so viscerally I understood so deeply exactly how he felt
1: yeah it didn't even feel like it was an inappropriate response it It made sense yeah
0: throw it in the trash can (laughs) yeah and then for him to go back and when he's cleaning it with a little toothbrush and hanging his clothes up on the line (laughs) he I think that's a snapshot and a picture of his emotional growth too of being able to to react in emotion yep and then to repair the rupture yeah And Holly, if you remember, she says, oh, I dropped him on accident instead of-
1: Which is such a a line of love.
0: She protects him in that even when they're not together. Yeah. And that's what attachment asks for is, will you protect me even when I'm bad? Right. Will you love me even when I don't feel good about who I am? Are you for me even in the
1: moments that it feels like you're against me?
0: Yes. Are you my champion and teammate? Mm -hmm. And I think that- I like to think that Holly and Michael were in love long before they met. Mm -hmm. Parts of them knew one another. Um, but maybe that's the romantic in me.
1: <laughs> maybe. Well, and I think there's this interesting thing that happens with good, healthy dating mm-hmm. where you end up dating your your spouse yeah. in every single person that you date before them because yeah. you're picking out pieces of what's I love right this. For you. I don't like this. This meshes so well with me. This yeah. doesn't mesh well. And we can see bits of Holly in every single person yeah. that we see. And we can also see the things that Holly
0: doesn't have that maybe jan has right and michael discovering that you know my i work with college students primarily right now and my young female clients will often ask me how do i know my partner is the right partner Mm -hmm. and my answer we're not supposed to give advice and i don't follow (laughs) rules (laughs) so my answer is do you like who you are in their presence And you like them, but do you like how you feel about you, or are you a muted version of yourself? Um, are you somehow less bright than you want to yeah. be? Are you are you editing yourself, yeah. or do you really love who you are in their presence? Yeah.
1: Is your depth expanded? Is your Ugh. reach and your breath and your life and your yeah. vivaciousness like? Are you are you that person?
0: Right, and and when you watch Holly and Michael interact, they both blossom. Oh yeah, and they open and they move. And they shift towards more authentic versions of self yeah. instead of all the facades that I think present yeah. us those personality traits in Michael. Well,
1: and it's interesting too. So the PDA
0: aspect mm-hmm.
1: of, and, and this has definitely become an episode about Michael and Holly, and I don't right. care.
0: We'll get to Holly. <laughs> the PDA
1: episode, It both Holly and Michael are Way too much.
0: Way too much.
1: And and way too much in a way that's bigger than they've been before separately. Right. Michael is overwhelmingly too much in that episode. Mm-hmm. And the reaction that everybody gets mm-hmm. is automatic disgust because that's a natural response, but also they're, they're, they love it. They love Michael. They love Holly. They love what's happening. They're happy for it. They're excited about it. They want to be around it. There's, there's this leaning in that we see throughout that episode that in other moments where Michael meets that same level of being too much,
0: the same, they run away. Right. And I I think that's, the social construct around appropriate behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and getting cues that we're supposed to get as kids yeah. in that longing meeting period of our lives yep. of, Hey, is this okay? Mm. No, you got to wear pants, yeah. right? you have to put <laughs> pants on? <laughs> and the, that experience of that social checking and that social sonar, he gets from Dunder Mifflin in a really healthy yeah. way. And I do, I love that, you know, Michael Scott is so well-loved and, mm-hmm not only by us, but by his colleagues. Right. Um, And for them to champion and celebrate when his life comes together is a beautiful thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's so, so cool. Okay. Let's talk real quick. Yeah. There's, there's a concept that trauma at a young age, attachment issues at a young age can stunt our emotional and uh, emotional and social development. Yep. I think we see that with Michael Scott. Sure. One of the ways that we see that is through his vocabulary <laughs> and yes. through his dramatic emotional range. Yes. <laughs> Can you talk about both of those?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, okay, so I, I have learned about myself. I am an incredibly tender, sensitive, and, and I have a very wide range of emotions. Mm-hmm. When things hurt, they hurt like the world's ending. Yeah. And when things are overjoying, I can't tether myself to the earth. You might burn it down to the I ground. I might burn it to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and I, again, another thing I relate to, right? Yeah. And so the most clear depiction of this is when they're, um, Aaron and, and Michael are preparing to find out if Holly got engaged mm-hmm. over Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he has two nearly identical boxes oh, yeah. for each emotional response. <laughs> Ukulele? Sad. <laughs> to break. Come on, Aaron. <laughs> yeah and, and and the whiskey or the scotch in yeah. both of them too um but i so y- you're right. That attachment rupture and those traumas in childhood, which let's talk about trauma for just a second, that it doesn't have to be definitive life-altering events. It right. can be repeated neglect is traumatic, mm-hmm. repeated um, shame. deficit. Yep. The shaming. body doesn't
1: know the difference between shame and trauma.
0: Nope. And and we can experience those things very, very, very little. And so when we when we look at emotional um, bandwidth or that emotional expression and that, that range he has, mm-hmm. he's trying... Trying to figure out how to make sense of his internal mm. experience and to voice it. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't find language for that super well. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the things that I love most is that he he speaks so dramatically, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm so excited I could burn this place <laughs> down. Yep. And he's, he has no intention of that, but it reminds me of the clients that I work with that are like, I'm so in love. I could marry them tomorrow. And I'm like, no, don't do that. <laughs>
1: yeah. like, well, I'm not going to, but yeah. I
0: could. <laughs> yeah. And it's this, it's his attempt, which I think we see in stunted emotional growth. Yeah. It's an attempt to express our experience internally, yeah. but with language that doesn't fit. Yeah. And so when we move through the world and we start to learn how to, how to correctly or accurately um marry our language to our internal experience mm-hmm. we start to get more satisfying interactions yeah. in our world
1: there's a really funny video on youtube where a child probably about 10 years old walks into his parents bedroom and he says Mother and father, I'm feeling quite scared at the moment because my room is dark and my (laughs) mind is imagining all of these frightening things in my room. Would you mind coming into my room, sitting with me and comforting me so that I feel (laughs) safe in your presence? And and the whole bit, I don't think that's exactly what they say. The whole bit is like no 10-year-old speaks that way because we can't.
0: We can't.
1: We do not have the ability at that age. And so, you know, part of it's the parent's opportunity to be able to speak that vocabulary into them right to offer those words and to say you seem really scared i wonder if you're scared about yeah. it being dark if i sit with you is that going to bring you comfort i'm right here. I'm, I'm keeping you safe and so it's really interesting to see with michael That he does communicate his emotions in a very childlike way, which is enduring. Right. um, But also developmentally inappropriate. Right. Um, And as he grows in being able to express his feelings safely around safe Mm -hmm. people, we start to see it grow a little bit more and he becomes a little bit more regulated as a person. Um, And there's also an interesting thing that happens where he uses words that He makes up, and and that is a childlike attribute as well, and and it's also endearing. And I think part of the reason that it's perpetuated in Michael is because it's something that brings attention in a Mm -hmm. kind of goofy, fun, loved way. Right. That he's going to continue because it's it's a way that he's getting a core longing met.
0: Right. Well, and and and. In addition to being endearing, it's relatable. Mm-hmm. Like, how many of us in our emotional experiences have wanted to say one thing to get our point across yeah. and have edited or regulated or dialed the volume down on what yeah. we're saying so that it is more palatable, which is an, an emotionally mature response. Yeah, it's a
1: really healthy, really effective Very, skill to have, really right.
0: important. But we only learn it when caregivers show that for us yeah. like the 10 year old coming into the bedroom yeah. of, you know, I, I'm thinking you're telling me you're really scared. Yeah. And that that takes an incredible amount of patience mm-hmm. on the part of the caregiver, right? To and be able to do that. And emotional intelligence, which we know not everybody um, has access to in yeah. the same way as everyone else. And so offering a little bit of grace and you know we We see glimpses of his relationship with his mother throughout the series. And one of them I'm thinking is when Michael lies to his coworkers about being engaged. And then they're like, call your mom. And he calls on speakerphone. He's like, I'm engaged. And she goes, No, you're not. Why do you
1: always do that? Why do you
0: always say that to me? And so we get a glimpse into the perpetual denying of his reality. And that is traumatic in and of itself.
1: And I wonder if there's a part of Michael, if we do take this approach of part of our conceptualization of why Michael Scott is the way he is, Mm -hmm. is because he didn't get to experience the growth that's necessary in childhood. Right. Some of his grandiosity of thinking so highly of himself, of thinking so dramatically of the world, is childlike imagination Mm. that he wasn't able to fully explore in childhood Mm -hmm. in a way that was... Cultivated, right? It's important. I mean, the work of childhood is play, right? And so, if Michael Scott wasn't able to work as a child, it's natural that he's going to bring the work of childhood into his adult work,
0: which we see with the um, the hamster maze he wants to make, (laughs) Tube City, (laughs) Tube City, with um, Willy Wonka, the golden ticket idea. I mean, there's so many experiences where he really is reliving that, yeah, and. And i that's my favorite thing about Michael because it resonates with me about my own playfulness, mm-hmm. which has become my favorite part of self, mm. is that I bring into adult experiences this playfulness, yeah. which helps those around us, if we do that, stay yeah. alive, yeah. right? And it ignites in them that childlike experience of delight. Yeah. Because if so, you look at the
1: color palette for the office, right. it's not very diverse. No. It's it's some blues, some beiges, uh skin it's a tones. midwestern office. Like it's it's very neutral. Right. And you know, I just got surround sound, and one of the things that I think Netflix is doing is it's putting the background audio on the yes. surround speakers, and the background audio is just phone calls, some typing, typing yeah. some murmuring, some weird. And, and yeah. I think that's really what the office would feel yeah. like if Michael Scott wasn't present.
0: Right, it would be a very boring. It would be exactly landscape. what Jim
1: talks about in yep. the uh, pilot
0: yeah I'm a paper salesman, Sorry, and people don't know if, yeah, I'm
1: just talking about
0: this, yeah <laughs> <laughs> do we make muffins? I don't know Thunder <laughs> Mifflin. People think it's a dog food company, yeah, and you know, I'm thinking as we're as we're talking about michael Scott, um, while the show is very little without him, mm-hmm. I think he also does so much before he leaves Mm -hmm. that it allows us to see Mm -hmm. the rest of the characters Mm -hmm. with his impact once Mm -hmm. he is gone from the show.
1: All right. I want to end this episode by talking about our favorite quotes and it's hard to boil it down so I'm choosing one of my favorite quotes because I think I am Beyonce. Always is something that I find myself saying in normal life too often.
0: <laughs> Especially for all the identities you hold, oh, you right. have no business or, that.
1: Or it's it's uh, uh, it's Britney bitch. Yes. That's my favorite as well. <laughs> um, but my favorite one is don't ever, for any reason, do anything to anyone for any reason ever. <laughs> No matter what, no matter where or who or who you're with, or where you're going, or where you've been ever, for any reason whatsoever,
0: <laughs> why did, why is that your favorite? Why do you love I think that?
1: it's my favorite because so often we are bombarded with advice and mm. uh, given counsel by different people in the world. And it comes down to mean just as much as, That quote, which is nothing, nothing, and um, I think the beauty of it too is that Michael Scott is put in a position where he's supposed to give advice on how he runs Dunder Mifflin, right? And it's such high pressure, and it we're so pressured to give this exact answer of like, if you do this, everything will be successful. But it's so much more wide open than that. There's no one answer uh, that satisfies, and Michael can tell that instinctively. Right. And he tries so hard to come up with something. But really what it is, is you have to know him. You have to see what's going on. You have to take in the context. And that's really what this whole show is about, is mm-hmm. you, you, we can't just say, you know, Michael Scott is this. We can't say The Office is just this. Right. In a concise manner that clears everything up. We really have to examine it and talk through it and have conversation rather than taking this phrase, putting it on the wall and saying, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Um, right. It doesn't work that way.
0: Michael Scott quoting Wayne Gretzky. Quoted right? by Trevor Sharon. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, so I, I could could have chosen several as well. And one of my favorites that I didn't choose, but have to say is this has kind of an oaky afterbirth, which um, is particularly relevant to me because my partner and I play a game where he and I will drink wine and then make up ridiculous <laughs> comparisons of, you know, this tastes like the playground um, the worst slide. Sommelier. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the most pretentious sommelier. <laughs> that doesn't ha- make any sense. Um, but the one I landed on is... When Michael Scott says, sometimes I'll start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going. I just hope I find it along the way, which is actually what he says as a follow up to your quote that you chose Mm -hmm. when he's talking to um, David Wallace. And the reason I chose this one is because, you know, in in the therapist world, we hear a lot, uh, fake it till you make it. Yeah. I vehemently reject that phrasing, Mm -hmm. and instead I say, act as if until you are. Mm -hmm. And this is a representation of sometimes I act as if I know what I'm saying until I know what I'm saying and then I finish the sentence. And so this resonates with me, but also I think he speaks to the idea and embodies a very healthy part of himself is that he engages in scenarios that he's not sure he'll be successful in, but he doesn't let fear make him not do things. Mm. And I love that about Michael Scott. And and sometimes for me, it's about starting something and then seeing if it will end well, mm-hmm. and being along for the ride yeah. <laughs> until it does. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So act as if until it is.
0: Act as if until it is, or act as if until you are. Hmm. Hmm. And then it there's because there's nothing fake about trying.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're not faking anything. We're just practicing. Yep. Yeah.
1: And we see a lot of practicing in Michael Scott. Yes. He practices well and Mm -hmm. he succeeds. He does. Yeah. At the end, he becomes, he becomes, he finds the end of the sentence. Yeah. Now I'm getting teary. I'm a, I'm a crybaby. I know.
0: I love that about you. (laughs) That's
1: why I can't watch that episode where he actually (laughs) leaves the office. It's too much for me.
0: We should, um, watch it together and it'll be exposure therapy for you.
1: I it. my, uh, friend Peter. I want to do, uh, viewing of The Office where we record it and just yeah. watch his reaction to everything because it's so visceral
0: When Shia, like when Shia LaBeouf watched his own movie
1: in reverse chronological <laughs> order that is the worst
0: that's a weird dude right there uh, let's do a separate episode on a separate podcast just of this guy Yeah,
1: we'll see you next time thank you for joining see us you next on time. Therapy Level Midnight that's
0: right, thanks Trevor